On episode 68 of DevTalk, I speak to Jim Bennett about getting started with IoT on Azure. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Jim Bennett. Jim is a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, and I've met him a couple of times through the years, and I'm really happy to have him on the show and actually see him. Hello, Jim. Hey, Kerry, how's it going? It's been a while, hasn't it, since we last uh, hung out together? Yeah, you were uh, our keynote speaker at the Expert Day, uh, Xamarin Expert Day for Xamarin, or Xam Expert Day in Cologne. Must have been two years ago when you were still living in London. And yeah. we've since moved the formats to an online format uh, for obvious reasons, but hope to be back next year. And uh, the keynote speaker for next Zam Expert Day is going to be the next guest in the next episode, but I'm not telling who it is. Uh, but Jim, Jim knows, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, and and you told us you, this was a time where you were still full in the in the Xamarin world, and that's why we know each other. But you've since moved on to a different topic at Microsoft. What is that? Yeah, I've moved to the Internet of Things, so I'm now an, an IoT person. Um, which in some ways feels like kind of a logical progression because one of the things that got me really excited about mobile development was you had a computer in your pocket. So mm -hmm. you can interact with a small device. You're kind of detached from a desktop computer and kind of IoT kind of like another iteration of that. It's small devices that you may take with you or maybe connected to bits of machinery. Um, and you're kind of interacting with those or those are kind of interacting with the real world. So it kind of feels like a nice logical progression going from desktop to mobile to kind of smaller IoT devices. Yeah, we, we've got lots of projects at our company. Usually when we do a mobile project, it always involves some sort of a device uh, because, uh, I mean, if, if it's just a mobile app, then they usually find somebody, somebody cheaper to solve the problem. But if it's got that uh, interaction, it's got a cloud, it's got mobile, it's got an IoT device, that, that's when it gets complicated. And uh, that's, that's where the experience is needed. So, so what do you do in, in I mean, that's a broad scope. Um, I remember you used to be an, an advocate in the Xamarin space for Microsoft. Is that what, still what you're doing? Are you still an advocate? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still doing uh, advocacy. My official job title is a senior cloud advocate, so I'm still doing advocacy. I'm in a slightly different team now. So before I used to be part of the main cloud advocacy team at Microsoft. So groups of folks, some doing um, some technologies, uh, you know, like JavaScript folks, there's mobile folks and uh, open source software folks and what have you. I've actually moved to a slightly different teams. So the team I'm on, it's, we call it the next generation experiences team, which leads mm -hmm. to lots of weird Star Trek jokes. But the idea behind our team is we're there to support the next generation of developers. So it's my job to support new learners. So for example, students, you know, university students are quite a big, a big audience for us. We work a lot with universities, with lecturers, with students, um, with our student ambassador population, which is kind of like our Microsoft MVPs, but for folks based university. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of work with anybody who wants to learn, specifically around IoT. So I help with online content, GitHub repos with samples, answering questions. I give lectures at university sometimes, you know, guest talks and create you know, videos. There's a lot of a lot of young folks are on YouTube these days. So, you know, need to be there to help create YouTube videos and work with our documentation teams and online learning platform teams to make sure that we're creating 
documentation that's good for beginners. Yeah, a lot of students are very new to technology. We've got people coming in, sometimes who've never done any coding before in their life, and they're suddenly bombarded with documentation designed for professional developers with 20 years experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of my job involves helping them with that to make sure our, all of our online learning is nice and beginner friendly. Nice. Uh, so we talked about IoT on episode 19 with my former colleague Vitaly Slepakov, and he was talking about, about IoT Hub and um, it, it's been a while. Uh, that was like two years ago. Maybe you could you could start at the beginning for us. So I th- think this is what your your content is is aimed at people who are completely new to the space. Or how does one even get into the IoT space? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's actually a question I get asked quite a lot. So I mean, IoT is a big thing. It's one of the, the big growing topics. If you look at the you know, the top five new things, top five things to learn in the technology space, IoT is, is, is up there. It's one of the big new growth areas. And so, yeah, I get asked this a lot. It's how do we get started with it? And it's, I mean, it's tricky. It is tricky to get started. If you go to like the Microsoft documentation, for example, we have a lot of great documentation around getting started with cloud services. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of folks, IoT is, well, I've got a Raspberry Pi. Now what do I do with it? So we've actually been look, looking at that question of how can we build up this kind of beginner level content. And we've actually recently, it's kind of convenient you asked that question. Uh, we recently released an IoT curriculum. So we've released a 24-lesson curriculum designed to be taught over a 12-week period for lecturers to use, for students to, use, um, to study themselves, which kind of answers that question. And really the first step of getting started with IoT is get yourself a device and get playing. So it's get yourself something like a Raspberry Pi, get yourself an Arduino device, there is a load of good devices out there. Get yourself a couple of sensors. Think about kind of like a home project you might want to do and start putting it together. You know, don't worry about the cloud yet. You know, this is weird. My job is a cloud advocate. and Here I'm saying, yeah. don't worry about the cloud. But kind of step one is get playing with those devices and kind of think about what it is you might want to do. Because IoT is kind of, it's, it's about the physical world. It's about interacting with sensors to gather data so you learn about the world around you and interacting with actuators which give you some kind of feedback Mm -hmm. so if you can think of a project that you can then use for an iot device get started by getting like that raspberry pi plugging it in i mean one example uh carrie we were talking about this earlier i've just got a a pool um we've had a lovely heat wave here in seattle and i ordered a nice big 12 foot wide outdoor pool that was supposed to turn up before the heat wave and FedEx delayed it and didn't turn up till a, a few weeks later. But that, you know, I don't, I'm too lazy to go out of my house and measure the temperature of my swimming pool. And so kind of a perfect beginner project for me would be to buy a Raspberry Pi, buy a temperature sensor, drop the temperature sensor from the pool and just have that report the data, just write a bit of code. And even if I have to remote log into my Pi just to see that the output, I could just see the temperature. So kind of find the way to get started really is find those fun projects with devices. And then that's kind of does the T side of it. Like the, the IoT is Internet of Things, that does the T side, the thing side. And then when you've kind of got happy with that, then you move to the I side, the Internet. You start thinking about the cloud services and kind of how you can go forward from there. That makes sense, yeah. But, but you mentioned, mentioned two different types of devices here. So you, Raspberry mm-hmm. Pi and Arduino, they're at like different abstraction levels, right? Like Raspberry Pi to me is more like a very tiny computer and Arduino is more like an embedded device. So yes. what, what, which one is the one you, you would suggest uh, for someone coming from maybe having written their own software a little bit, but not any embedded experience? 
That's, that's another great question because there's always that tough choice of which hardware platform do you go for. And really, there are, as you say, there are two kind of hardware platforms. There's the embedded hardware and the single board computer, small board computer type hardware. So the embedded side of things, that's microcontrollers. These are bits of hardware that are designed to run one thing and run that one thing really, really well. So they normally are low powered. You know, the kind of specs you get on embedded hardware remind me of the ZX Spectrum I used to have when I was learning to code 30 something years ago. You know, you get processors with a few hundred megahertz speed, you get a few hundred kilobytes of RAM. So mm -hmm. embedded development with microcontrollers, it's very, very constrained in what you can do. Yeah. Now, a lot of the coding for that is in C and C++. So if you want to get started with Arduino program, for example, which is a framework for embedded devices, you need to better code in C and C++. Mm -hmm. So the media, there's that kind, of, that kind of barrier. If you come from a C++ background, then settling into Arduino is nice and easy. If okay. you don't come from that background, it's quite a big learning curve to remember to free memory. That's something that a lot of us who use high-level languages, just we just don't do anymore. But you have to remember that for embedded devices. So if you want, if you want to get low-level, you want to build something fast, and you want to build something cheap, and you want to build something that can run off a battery for a number of years, then embedded works. But obviously, there's, there's that hurdle. Yeah, the power requirements of embedded device are tiny. You can buy a little microcontroller, connect it to like a little coin cell battery, and that can run for years. Yeah. You know, you want to monitor the temperature of your swimming pool without plugging it into the mains, you can do that for embedded device. But you're writing C++. Now, the Raspberry Pi, the kind of small board computers, they are literally a fully featured computer. So a Raspberry Pi runs a version of Linux. Uh, if you buy Raspberry Pi 4, you've got a quad-core processor, one and a half gigahertz, I think. Yeah, you can get two gig, four gigs, eight gigs of RAM on these things, two HDMI outputs. You know, these are these are pretty powerful computers. These are more powerful than kind of the desktop computers of five years ago. They're pretty powerful machines. You can mm. even buy a Raspberry Pi built into a keyboard. So you literally buy this thing, it's Raspberry Pi 400, in a keyboard, and you just you plug in a an HDMI out to your monitor, you plug in a mouse, and you've got a fully featured Linux. That sounds like my Atari. <laughs> it, it does. It, I think they built it based off the kind of computers that, that we grew up on. I yeah. mean, the Spectrum I had was a keyboard with all the bits inside it. Right, and right. I had friends who had Ataris and Amigas and Commodore 64s, a keyboard with all the bits inside it. They've tried to kind of channel some of that retro computing energy in the Pi 400. Um, mm -hmm. But because it runs Linux, it can run whatever programming language you want, but as long as that's supported on Linux, which is basically everything. So if you're a .NET developer, for example, and you want to get started with IoT, you can put .NET Core on a Raspberry Pi and program in .NET. And there's a whole lot of libraries to talk to sensors and LEDs and all that kind of stuff. You can write that in .NET. If you're a JavaScript programmer, you can do it on a JavaScript. The majority of it on the Raspberry Pi seems to be Python. There's a lot of great examples in Python and libraries for hardware. But it's pretty much, you know, whatever programming language you want, you can do it on the Pi. You can even put Visual Studio Code on a Pi. So you take your Pi, you plug mm -hmm. in your monitor, you plug in keyboard and mouse, install VS Code, write your application in VS Code on your Pi, unplug the monitor, keyboard and mouse, put your Pi where you want it as an IoT device, and away you go. So, Without learning yeah, it's, VI. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so literally it's true. You do not need to learn or Vim or Emacs or Nano, you just spin up VS Code in your Raspberry Pi, code up your IoT solution, and then just unplug the device, plug it in where you want it with the sensors, and off you go. Okay, and so that this is the step one. We've we've got this thing running. It will maybe output the your pool temperature on the console, or maybe if you're you're fancy, you've got a web server on there, and you can look at your current pool 
pool temperature. But yeah, people in all over the world don't know your pool temperature if they're interested. So, so how do we get there <laughs> then? So yes, the next step is you need some kind of IoT service that your device can connect to. So kind of the first iterations of these were just message brokers. You come across the term MQTT quite a lot, which is a message broker for sending very small messages between IoT devices. Mm -hmm. So you kind of need something that can send a message from an IoT device up to some form of internet service. Now, I work for Microsoft, so I can talk a lot about the Microsoft services. And the first one you kind of hit is either I, well, there's two you can hit, it's IoT Hub or IoT Central. So IoT Hub is a, essentially it's a big pipe. I like to think of it as like a big fat pipe and you connect your IoT device to it and you can use your IoT device, put stuff on the end of the pipe and then you write some code somewhere else to take stuff off the pipe. Yeah. So it's, and then if you want to send messages back to your IoT device, you put stuff on the pipe on the other end and then you take it off on your IoT device. And it's a really big fat pipe. It can theoretically handle millions of IoT devices, billions of messages, all zipping back and forward. And it's a bit more than just sending messages back and forward. You've got security, you've got device management, you know, the kind of stuff you would need in a proper enterprise solution to make sure that people aren't hacking your pull yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the basic step of it's a pipe, you connect data to it, and then you are responsible for taking data off the other end. And you know, if you want to, want to set up a website so everybody in the world can see the temperature of my pool, for example, I would then need to build a website that takes the data off the end of that, maybe stores it in a database somewhere and then visualizes it. Now we also have a thing called IT Central, which is, it's like a, a wrapper that sits on top of IT Hub and gives you a SaaS application. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I want to set up an application, you get a website and you can define the devices, define the type of data the device is gonna to send to you and you can just drag and drop charts. So I could go spin up an IT central application. I could say, I want a device that measures temperature. It's going to send it in a field called temp. And then I set up my device, get my code on my, on my Raspberry Pi to send a message to IT central. And it doesn't just appear on a chart. I just get the chart just is just there. I can see the, the graph over time of data. And then if I want to add more charts to it, I want to add the ability to click a button and send a message back to my device, or I want to have rules to say if the temperature goes over a certain point, send me an email, things like that. I can kind of put it together in a SaaS application. So okay. it's kind of nice that if I want to spin up a dashboard quickly, I can do that in IoT Central. So you kind of got these two options, just the pipe or pipe plus a SaaS application sitting on top. And is this application something you would show to your end customer, or is this just something for, for you to monitor what's happening? So it, it is a... It is a kind of secure application in that you have to have authorization to access it. So it's prob um, it's, IT Central is not the thing you would use to build an application that is completely public. So if I wanted the whole world to know the temperature of my pool, I wouldn't do that in IT Central. But if I wanted everybody in my house to better access the temperature of my pool, I would do I would do. I mean, yes, you can build more advanced dashboards and manage security and build big web apps, but usually if you want to actually report it, if you want to have it, you know, like if you go onto the website for your thermostat, you can see the temperature of your device. For that, mm -hmm. you build a custom application. Okay. IT Central is more about internal type dashboards. Okay. So like company internal there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is um, are we finished? Was that step two, and and we're done, that's or <laughs> is there a, is there a step three? Well, that's the thing. It's the step three is everything. That's mm -hmm. the thing. So it, once your data gets into IT Hub, where the data goes next, that's really that's 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 wide open as to what you might want to do with it. Uh, so I mean, just think about my pool as one example. If I'm measuring the temperature of my pool, 
you know, I want my pool to be the right temp. So I've got, well, on order, hopefully turn after a couple of days, I've got some uh, heating mats. So there's big, they're big black mats and the water pu gets piped through them, zips around inside the, the mats, absorbs the sun's heat and warms up. Mm -hmm. So I want my pool to be at a certain temperature, which means if the pool's temperature is too low, I want the pump to be on, pumping water through the mats. But when it reaches a certain point, you know, I don't, I don't want to be out there boiling. You know, the temperature needs to be at a good level. So when the temperature gets too high, I then need to turn off the pump. And okay. so I can kind of build that logic on the other side of the pipe that is IoT Hub. So for example, I could build some serverless code using measure functions. And every time a temperature measurement goes, goes onto the IoT Hub, comes off the other side, hits Azure Functions. I write a bit of code in my language of choice to say, if this temperature is below a certain number, turn on the pump. If it's above a certain number, turn off the pump. That turn on, turn off the pump is a message that gets sent back through IT Hub, back to my IT device. My IT device picks up the message and uses that to control a relay to turn the power on and off to the pump. Or it could okay. use, or I could use like a smart plug. Yeah, I kind of my pump plugged into a smart plug, and then the Azure function could then send a message to my smart plug to turn to turn it on or off. So you kind of got that. The world is your oyster thing. Once once the data gets through IT Hub, it's kind of you could whatever you need to do to build your solution, you can do with it. You've got kind of got the cloud side in all the capabilities you want in the cloud, all there um, just to handle what comes off. So yeah, so step three is the what do you need? Build all the things that go that go on top of it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm thinking about using this in the professional context for for like a very simple solution. You could use uh, like a Raspberry Pi as as your mm -hmm. step one. Step two, you use Azure uh, IoT Central, and then you're you're already finished. Maybe this will be enough just to have some some of your colleagues see like the values of the uh, kettle temperature or something like that um, in in the, on the factory floor. That would already be valuable. Next step would maybe be if you if you're thinking about something bigger, you you want to make it like a, like a big solution or even a consumer product that somebody would have in their house. So then we wouldn't just use IoT Central. We would use maybe more queues and web app and some big data processing or whatever. I know Azure can do a lot of a lot of things. <laughs> or, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what about the IoT side? So how, how do I get from... Um, so I'm not going to ship a Raspberry Pi to everyone who buys my thing that I sell. I want to get like down to one one dollar per device, maybe as an mm -hmm. additional cost. And uh, how do I go about doing that? How do I get from from this this sort of like trying out to producing something actually? Yeah, yeah, great question. So this is where you need the embedded developers. If you want to get the price down, you need the embedded developers. Now, not to say that you can't use a Raspberry Pi in a professional context. Raspberry Pi actually make a compute module that you can use in factories. Yeah, it's designed to be a separate board that you can attach to whatever devices that you want to use. You program it the same way as a Raspberry Pi. But now really, this is where you would get the actual embedded developers. So this is where you would pick the hardware platform, you know, the embedded platform, the microcontroller that you want that hits your price point and your speed that you need. You know, if all you're doing is just taking a temperature measurement and sending it to the cloud, then you need not very powerful microcontroller. You probably don't need much memory. You know, you'd run this, work out how much memory you're using, and that's how much memory you'd put on the microcontroller. You, know, you would need some form of Wi-Fi chip on there. Again, you'd pick that based off price. 
Maybe you do it off Bluetooth, you know, depending on what kind of infrastructure you've got. So you'd pick the components that you need. And this is where the electrical engineering side comes in. And you would need folks who understand how to design PCBs, you know, put the hardware together, would actually do that. You then build your custom firmware designed for exactly for your hardware and your hardware only. And that would then gather the data, send that to the cloud. And for that, I mean, we, yeah, we have SDKs for this. So if you want to talk to IT Hub from a Raspberry Pi, we have a Python SDK. You want to talk to IT Hub from a microcontroller, we have the low-level C SDK that you can use to do this. We have real-time operating system, Azure RTOS, that can bring you things like threading, network, and security. You actually put that, compile that onto your embedded device so you kind of have a small networking layer if you need it to send yeah. the data to Azure IT Hub. So you would kind of build that tight little core of code that lives on a teeny tiny low powered microcontroller that sends your data up to the cloud and does all kinds of things to do with it. So you can, that's where it kind of gets very low level, it gets way out of my hands. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm great with microcontrollers and Raspberry Pis, but you asked me to design a, a, a circuit board and I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, this is where all the experts are really good at designing exact hardware that they need for this purpose and using kind of exact, exact software that they need. Um, another thing as well to think about if you're when you're actually building your device is where are you going to do the processing? So you know, if I'm gathering data from my pool, I can send it to the cloud. That's fine. But if I'm gathering, say, vibration data from a machine in a factory, I may not want to take the time to send that data to the cloud for cloud processing. Mm -hmm. I may not want to risk the internet going down, for example. I'm if I'm taking an IoT device that analyzes medical images. For privacy reasons, I may not want to send that to the cloud. Yeah. And that's actually where another capability of IoT Hub comes in, which is IoT Edge. And IoT Edge is all about edge computing, which is running code, not in the cloud, but on your network, but managed via the cloud. So okay. one kind of classic example would be anomaly detection, which is AI models that monitor a stream of data and alert you when something is outside the expected bounds of what that data should be. Yeah, you know, so you've got a machine that's vibrating, 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 you get big vibration, that might be anomaly. And so you can train anomaly detection models in the cloud, specialize them for your particular data, you use the power of the cloud to build these models, then you can download the model, run that on an IoT device. So you mm -hmm. have an edge device, and this might be something that's got a GPU in it, for example, that can accelerate AI models. You will connect that to IoT Hub, and from IoT Hub, you would say, deploy this AI model. It will take you from the cloud, put it on your edge device, and that edge device will run on your network. It would run close to where the data is gathered. So if you've got a machine gathering vibration data, it doesn't have to send it through your corporate network to a gateway over the internet to the cloud, process it in the cloud, and then a message come back from the cloud through the internet to your corporate gateway to say, turn it off, it's about to break. Instead, you send a message from the device on your local network to an edge device that can immediately send a message back, say, turn off the machine if it needs okay. to. So you kind of got that extra capability that you don't have to just run all the logic, the data processing in the cloud. You can actually bring that onto the edge, bring it on devices that run really close to your IoT devices. Okay. Well, that's what I was thinking when, when you gave the pool example. So maybe uh, it wouldn't be entirely necessary to... Uh, send the pool temperature to the cloud and have the cloud figure out the pool is too cold and then send that down <laughs> to the same device that was controlling <laughs> the, getting the, the temperature. Yeah. But the advantage of sending it to the cloud is we can bring in other data. Yeah. Because IoT really is all about data. It's bringing a range of data. And so what, what? imagine I had a cloud service that looked at the temperature of my pool, saw that my pool was too cold, but then also checked my calendar, saw that I was on a road trip I'm out, the, I'm out the house the next week. 
mm-hmm. why does it need to turn on my my heater? Why does it need to re- re- turn the pump and get the, get the water being warmed? I'm not going to be there. I'm going. I'm, I'm at. You know, I'm not at home. So there's no point heating up my pool. But then if it notices that I'm due to come back on say a week's time, the day before it can then start warming up my pool. So you kind of bring in that extra kind of logic. Yeah. Same with the weather. You could look at weather logic and say, well, the pool's cold, but you know what? It's going to be raining tomorrow. So maybe I just won't bother because they're not likely to going to be in the pool in the rain. So <laughs> it's yeah, by having the having the cloud part there, you can augment your data in so many different ways and use that to help with the decisions that you're making. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, it's one example. Uh, and typically IOT projects like have, have so many sensors out there, millions, for example, Yeah, the, the, the power comes when you bring all that together and you can, you can extract information from all those sensors and uh, have a better, better product for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a growth area for IOT is actually working out what to do with the data. You know, we need a lot of data scientists in the IoT space to work out. There was I was reading the other day that by 2025, IoT devices will be producing 80 zettabytes of data. That's like 80 trillion gigabytes, which is a ridiculous per, per, amount of data. That's per year. Per year. So, okay. Oh, so okay. all the IoT devices globally throughout the year will make produce 80 zettabytes of okay. data, and most of that is just ignored. And so yeah. we have the we have the thing that how do we filter this data rather than have a vibration sensor sending all the data to the cloud all the time, maybe we need an edge device to help filter and just send an alert to say, yeah, it exceeded tolerances. So we, yeah, we need some smarts to maybe reduce the data. Mm. Or if all that data is useful, you know, maybe we need to gather all this data. I was seeing recently because we had a, a heat wave here and people were comparing the temperature of roads with trees and roads without trees. If we've got all that temperature data based off in these locations, this is the, the ambient air temperature, and we've got data scientists looking at this data, they can then use that and discover patterns like, okay, if we, if we have more trees, it will help with cooling. And so, yeah, we could use some of this ridiculous amount of data in smarter ways to help us make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a challenge in projects is to, I work in consulting and we work with customers. And if you ask the customer, how much of the data should we gather? The answer is always all the data, right? <laughs> we want all the data. <laughs> And uh, they know right now that they don't need the data at this this time. And they, they think, well, we might need that data in the future. And maybe we could extract some information from it. But you, you'd have to tell them if you want this much data, this is the price point. And uh, mm-hmm. this much data is different. And I mean, uh, pricing is, is a thing in, in the cloud. You you have to be aware of of how much you want or how much you use. And it's it's very interesting. Everybody wants data, and and uh, sometimes it's not being used the right way, or not at all. Yeah, and, yeah. And the problem is, people will say will pick the, the the data they want, and usually the data they pick is wrong. They actually want it's the data they haven't picked is the one they want, and so yeah. they're they're so worried about that. They say capture everything. So like, yeah, that's fine, but your storage bill is going to get astronomical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, where do you? see this heading in the future is uh, is iot just going to pick up is it going to become easier for people to use are there going to be other applications that we don't see as iot applications today oh definitely definitely i mean this is a massive massive space um, and definitely ai on iot this is an area that's that's growing hugely there's mm. a really cool technology called tiny ml which is running machine learning models on microcontrollers. 
Ah. So not just running machine learning models on big, powerful machines, but running AI models on $5 microcontrollers. And this is, this is a huge space. It's just exploding. There's a fantastic company called Edge Impulse, and they've been making it as easy as can be to train and run machine, machine learning models on microcontrollers. You literally, you want to build like a, a, a word detection model. You run their software. It runs a bit of software on your microcontroller, gathers the data, trains in the cloud, and spits you out C++ code to do a wake word detector on your microcontroller. And they've been using it for things like um, vision to kind of recognize things. They've been using it for animal sounds, you know, things like conservation. If you can tell what the noise an elephant makes is what that means, and you put collars on herds and herds of elephants, and you can pick up when they're angry, when they're scared, when they're hungry, and you can use this to work out are the elephants being poached? Are they away from where the food supplies are? And you can use to do so much for conservation. Mm. So just things like TinyML, being able to run AI models on, on really small devices is a huge, huge growth area. And that I mean, it's something we probably use all the time. If you've got an Alexa at home, when you say Alexa, it's running a, a small AI model on the device to listen to your voice. And this is going to keep growing and growing and growing to allow more things to happen in a disconnected way and kind of increase privacy, increase access for people to do things. Um, so that's definitely a big area. The consumer space is growing. Questionable how good that is because there's been so many problems with somebody releases a consumer IoT device and doesn't consider privacy and all your yeah, data gets yeah. leaked. Um, you know, and there's <laughs> so almost, many horror stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to find a horror story that is, there's so many of them. And, you know, some of these devices seem a bit, bit weird. I keep getting social media adverts for voice-controlled toilet cleaner and stuff like that, which is, mm -hmm. yeah, could be a great thing, I don't know. Um, but it just seems everything wants to be connected to the internet these days. So consumer, it's massive. Digital agriculture is a huge, huge growth area. Yeah, especially in the developing world, mm -hmm. if they can monitor their soil and only water when they when they need to, suddenly farmers in developing nations can optimize how they use water, which is a very precious resource. And the devices to measure soil moisture and report it are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So suddenly you can increase farming yields in developing nations, which mm -hmm. is an amazing thing we can do just using a few dollars worth of hardware. And so there's constant, constant demand for it. Vehicle tracking in the workplace. New Zealand, for example, a place I used to live and I carry another place you visited, they have road user charging. So if you're a, di a diesel truck, you pay tax per mile that you drive on public roads, but okay. not for what you drive off public road. And so if you can track vehicles, you can measure that they've driven for, say, 10 miles on public road to a logging site, four miles off public road to get to the trees, another four miles back to the public road, then 10 miles on public road. Out of those 28 miles, they've done 10 miles of public, uh, 20 miles of public road, therefore they pay 20 miles worth of tax. Mm -hmm. And so a lot, of, a lot of countries are considering these kind of ideas for paying for the road damage that trucks do, because trucks getting more efficient, so tax on fuel is not giving the returns for the road repairs they need. So IoT devices in vehicles can help track this. They can help track with theft of vehicles. Um, just even yeah. basic things like, is this vehicle where it's supposed to be? You know, or is it in the wrong depot? Alerts when a, when a vehicle approaches a factory, so you'll be ready to unload. And so there's massive, massive growth areas there. In factories, quality assurance, AI running on an IoT device, you have things zipping on the conveyor belt, you take photographs with an, AI, with an IoT device, run it through an AI model, tells you whether the thing's good or bad. You know, you've suddenly got all this analysis happening in your factory with IoT devices. Retail, yeah. stocking shelves. Cameras can tell you that there's a hole there. We need to go and put some more cornflakes on that, on that shelf. Get all that with it. And obviously, yeah, there's so many areas. It's just growing and growing and growing. Yeah, 
connectivity is cheap. The 5G as well, it's going to make a massive impact because 5G increases connectivity, allows devices to connect, build your kind of private networks, so many more opportunities to connect more things. So yeah, it's, it's the future. It's absolutely the future. Yeah. I, well, I think so too. Those are really awesome examples. Thank you. I, I've, you've given me a whole list of things. Uh, you already mentioned those at the beginning. Uh, your IoT for Beginners, Beginners course, I will link to that. I will link to all the, the resources in your list. I hope people look into it. Just uh, I do think this, this is the future and your time won't be wasted if you, if you learn, learn these things. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That was so enlightening. Thank you. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you for having me on. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Bye bye. bye.